You create your life with the stories you tell yourself. Want more fun, love, and money? Then write your new story and live into it. Louis DiBianco's podcast, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, shows you how to discover your empowering story. You'll meet many successful people who have created magnificent lives, even when the odds were stacked against them. Plus, you'll learn the secrets of great storytelling that can explode your business. And now, here is your host, Louis DiBianco. Have you ever wanted to be extraordinary? What does the voice in your head say if you affirm that you are extraordinary? Does it giggle and tell you to get real? Does it tell you to look at all the mistakes you've made and all of your failures? If the answer is yes, you're not alone. But the good news is that the voice is telling you a story that just ain't true. Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome once again to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Louis DiBianco. I'm excited to announce that our sponsor is Audible. They are offering you, our listeners, a free download of one of your favorite audio books. You get to choose from 180,000 titles, and you also get a one-month free trial of Audible's entire service. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. That is www.aud. IBLETrial.com forward slash story power. For your convenience, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio, as well as the website ChangeYourStoryPodcast.com. Because the theme of the show is Change Your Story, Change Your Life, I've created a free gift for you, my listeners. It is an ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life in Business. You can download it immediately at www.changeyourstorypodcast.com. One of the most rewarding things in this podcast for me is my ongoing dialogue with you, my storytellers, my listeners. Let's continue that dialogue. Keep sending your comments about what you're getting from the show and what you'd like to see in it going forward. Send them to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. I promise to read every message I receive and to choose some of them to share with you on the show. Today's guest has made mistakes. He's failed, and he has created a life of enormous success by living into an empowering story. He started his first business when he was 11 years old. In his 20s, he built a $5 million real estate empire over a 10-year period, and then he lost it all. And he recreated his wealth in the last 12 months. He's written five books and has two more for release in 2017. He's created a $2 million portfolio starting with a Visa card cash advance. Oh, 
and he created his own martial art called Yokido, and holds three other black belts. His name is Damien Lupo, and it's my pleasure and honor to welcome the ultimate underachiever to the show, Damien. Welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life. Lewis, it's so good to be here. Thanks for having me, my friend. Thank you. How do you respond to being called uh, an underachiever? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny when you when you go through this process of of um, falling on your face and bloodying yourself up and really just going out there and trying things. Like when we ride a bike in the beginning, you get to the point where you don't you're not afraid of of falling off the bike. You kind of get used to realizing it's not going to kill you. And after after you go through that process enough times. You, you stop being emotionally connected to whatever gets thrown at you because as you move forward, a lot of people will end up spending a lot of time focusing on you instead of themselves and a lot of names get thrown at you. And so over the years, I've learned to be really neutral and with people. So I just, I smile and I listen and I'm kind of with whatever gets thrown at me. So I don't necessarily get excited or depressed about somebody saying, hey, you're amazing or you're a complete jerk. It's just funny because you, you get really neutral about these things. Well, I, I agree, and I think that that is a, a key secret to success, that uh, if you're reactive and get thrown by what others say, you know, um, you probably will give up. Do you know the uh, personal development um, uh, teacher, Les Brown? I was just with Les in, in Miami a couple of weeks ago, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, wonderful. I love... You know, one of the things that he says all the time is that uh, don't ever let someone else's opinion of you become your opinion of yourself. I love that quote. That's a great yeah, quote. It's true. So I'm sure I'm not the only one who's dying to know what your first business was that you started when you were 11 years old. Well, it, it's uh, it's funny because it was really just a problem, a personal problem I had. And and like any entrepreneur that's out there looking for something to create, you got to find a problem. And for me, the problem was my parents wouldn't buy me Nintendo games and I wanted to play video games. And so I said, well, I'm going to fix this problem. And it sort of happened that I found a way to create a wholesale retail business, started buying games in bulk from people, solving their problem because they had a bunch of used games they didn't want to play anymore. I would go and buy those, hired, hired my parents to go drive me over and pick them up and do the deal. And and then I would play them and then sell them off one at a time to people that wanted to have a game. And so I was really in, in a business by accident because I had a problem and I just wanted to have fun playing games, which is also a lesson. If we can find a problem and it's something interesting and fun, then all of a sudden there's an opportunity there that's not going to feel like work. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm curious at the age of 11, Two things. Where did you get the money to buy the games? At, at eleven years, probably even before that, I was I was d going door to door, knocking on doors, selling Christmas wrapping paper. I was doing things, and it was starting small. I mean, when my first deal, buying say a dozen Nintendo games for ten or fifteen dollars each, we're only talking a hundred dollars, maybe a hundred and fifty, which is also a great lesson that. Just like when I went into real estate, I didn't. I had negative money. I actually had more money when I was age 11 than I did when I was 22 buying real estate. And it doesn't take money. People make this mistake thinking that investing or business takes money. What it takes is is creative energy, and you can create all the money in the world. And it doesn't have to be your money. So that was that was really what started with 100 bucks, and mm. and off to the races I went. 
So how did you go about selling things when you were ready to sell them? I mean, how did you communicate with the public to let them know that you had these things? Man, this was old school. This was like newspaper days where I put an ad in the newspaper and, and it was it was really that simple. And so today we have Craigslist. We have these, whatever the current medium is. Back then, all I was doing was using the newspaper. I had an ad that said, I have this, I have a game, I have games for sale. And when I was looking for purchases, I would just look for people that were selling games. And it was, it wasn't that, it wasn't more complicated than that. The, the thing that we're running into now in general is there are so many options, there are so many channels, we get overwhelmed and we don't do anything. And really, if we just started with one thing and got really good at it, like with social media, focus on Twitter or whatever your medium is, do that one thing, stay focused, get good at it, and then move out. We, instead of doing that, we get paralyzed. And so I just stayed in that one medium and that was my entire business channel. You know, what you just said about being paralyzed is so true um, it's something that I think about often that the irony is that we have so much opportunity and so many choices, but people are not, don't know how to cope with all of the alternatives and often it just puts them right into paralysis. You know, one, but one thing I'm just curious about, a little logistical thing here. So you said it was as easy as putting an ad in the paper. That's true, but I don't know too many 11-year-old kids who know how to go around and, okay, I'm going to put an ad in the paper. You must have gotten help from your parents. I, I think that I, I, for some, you know, maybe maybe I asked them. I, I just remember it seemed like that was the, the right answer because when I thought about where the game's being sold, the, the thing that came up was the newspaper. And I, I had experience because I delivered newspaper when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And, and so I'd, I'd seen that you could do things in the newspaper. And, and so it wasn't, it wasn't a super high tech type of thing. And, and really knowing that that's where the, the resources or that's where the commerce was happening was enough. I, it didn't have to be more complicated than that. People overly complicate things and, and then they, they freeze up just like with investing. We, we tend to think it's so complicated. And so we turn our money over to wall street instead of realizing that if we owned responsibility for it, we're smart enough to make it happen. And that goes to just about everything in life. It's not too complicated. We're just too scared to make a mistake. Oh, I love that. That's uh, We could end the podcast right here. And uh, the uh, audience, uh, my storytellers, will have gotten full value. But we won't end it here. So did you, as a child, have a specific dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up? I am like Jeff Bezos and and Elon Musk and a lot of these these guys that are out there that have businesses and really what their big picture is is it's, it's all about space it's all about exploring our our potential and and going out into the abyss when I was a kid that was that was what I I was thinking about I, I wanted to go to space camp when I was a teenager and I wanted to travel to the stars and so my everything I'm doing is really with that thinking that's that spiritual awareness that the that life is is so big and it's so abundant and it's so much bigger than anything we can see right here in front of us um, it's it's always been about that and so I'm just finding ways to create a lot of wealth and prosperity and eventually head to the stars I mean really that's whether we're thinking about going and shooting for the stars or actually traveling there, I mean, that's, that's a part of real reality these days. And, um, and that's part of what my mission and that's part of what my personal plan is. Well, right now you sound just like Peter Diamandis. I love that guy. I'm sure you do. Have you, um, uh, considered going to, um, the, uh, Singularity University? 
I, I actually do, but believe it or not, I've been to uh, exponential Singularity University's Exponential Finance in New York, and and his his program in California. The programs he has are on my on my list uh, to go to later this year. So absolutely, he's totally mm-hmm. in line. His his thinking and and everything he's doing uh, totally in line. Oh yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think anyone who doesn't know him um, should find out who he is like yesterday, because it's that important to understanding what's going on in the world today. Now, when you were a kid, did you consider yourself extraordinary? I actually felt like I was not I was not fulfilling something, that I wasn't actually getting things done. And the reason I thought that, I don't think I thought I was extraordinary at all. I kept hearing people say, you have so much potential, which usually made me, well, every time, not usually, it always made me really mad because I felt like people were saying, you're just not really getting it done. And, and maybe someday you'll step up. So that in my mind wasn't someone telling me I'm extraordinary. I think my mom was the exception. She would say, you could be an amazing rock and roll star. But what I, the feedback I was getting from society that wasn't necessarily tainted by the motherly love was, yeah, you're not really stepping up yet. And, and so down the road, that started to change. But then the problem was I was focusing way too much effort on just proving to people that I was worth something instead of just using myself as my own bar. I was comparing myself to other people and looking for validation from other people, which can be just as dangerous. Oh, comparison is one of the most deadly practices that anyone can engage in. It'll, it'll definitely take you out of almost any game because you'll always find someone that you feel at least is better than you. And then you go, ah, I can't do this. I know. That's, uh, that's a big one. Thank you. Who were the people who inspired you the most when you were growing up? Gosh, when, when, when I was growing up, um, I think I was, I don't know if I was being inspired or I was just finding people that created limits and trying to break those limits. It was, it was all, I mean, and as kids, this is our natural tendency. We, we just keep pushing for the boundaries and parents job is to try to keep us from killing ourselves in the process of, of being curious. And, and so inspirations, I mean, I had, I had probably a couple of of history teachers that were really more inspiring than anything. And it was because they challenged and they pushed and, and they were open and they didn't necessarily have an agenda. They just really believed in the people that they, the kids that they were, they were teaching. And there was something about them where I felt like they believed in us in a, in a unique way and, and would, would push us past what we thought was possible. So the, they were, I mean, and I think a lot of people will say that the teachers really were something special to them and they were, it was personal because we spent so much time together and it's just like my students now that I teach with martial arts that I see something in them that they don't even see in themselves. They're, they're fumbling around like a puppy dog with big feet and, and I see where they're going and it's, it's inspiring and I just do everything I can to lift them up. And I think these people did the, the, the exact same thing for me and it gave me wings to fly, which is what is happening now. And it was, it was a gift I could, I could never thank them enough for. Yeah, I love that answer. You know, um, you make me think of my own life. I, um, I had one teacher in uh, university that was that person who through his energy, his intellect, and his personality inspired me to choose the direction that I did in my life. And um, it's, yeah, I owe a debt of gratitude to him. Did you like high school? I, I actually nearly was thrown out of high school because I was being me. The more authentic I was, the more I didn't fit in. 
And, and I finally embraced that and realized that I'm not supposed to be doing what everybody else is doing. In, in high school, I got along better with, with the teachers and the administrators. I was on the school board. I wasn't really in with my peers. And it was, it was just me. The, the way that I thought and the way that I showed up was, was different. And I think that there's, there's a lesson for me to, to always remember that if we're going to chart our own course, it's oftentimes going to be all by ourselves, And there, there are times to be in groups and tribes and teams. And there are times where you're the only one that's going to be able to understand what you're thinking. And you have to be willing to trust yourself. And so that was part of my, my work through, through that thinking was being able to understand that my peers weren't necessarily the people that I was connecting with. And, and it, was a, it was actually an amazing experience. But it was definitely a, a strange experience compared to probably most people's high school years. Well, uh, that's another great, great nugget. I mean, the idea that um, there are times when you just must trust your own thoughts and your own instincts and stop looking for validation from outside. That's powerful. Now, when did you first become interested in martial arts? I, I, th- I when I was a kid, when I was really young, there was there was this inner fight. As as a young boy, there's this thing we we just naturally built to to want to go and get into fights and war, and there's something about that. So I wanted to be a martial artist like Chuck Norris. And what was fascinating is I, I ended up going in into a couple of martial arts schools for karate, and it didn't fit. There was something about it that just didn't work with with my energy. And instead of forcing it, I said no, thank you, and and moved on. And then a number of years later, I, I was curious because I, I saw a different style, which is Aikido, which, and it also literally means the art of peace. And I, I went to a dojo where they train, and I saw one class, and I walked up to the teacher, and I said, this is a perfect fit. Do you do private instruction? And the guy looked at me, and he said, why don't you see if you last a month? And I said, perfect. I'll see you, I'll see you in four years because I'll still be here. And, and I kept going, and I, it ended up he was my instructor all the way through to my first black belt. And when it fit, it became an obsession. And there's, when we see those things, when we have those, those moments in our life where we feel like we're in a flow, and it could be the first moment we're introduced to something, when we get there, there's something magical about that that we don't want to let go of. We really need to embrace that because that's where all the real magic happens, being in that flow. And I just stayed there, and I've been there ever since. Mm. How old were you at that time? I was 23 when, when I first was introduced to, to martial arts and to the Aikido. And that's, mm. that's where really the magic began. Mm. Now, how and why did you create your own martial art discipline that you call Yokido? There's a strange thing that happens, Lewis, when you, you focus on something for enough time. There's there, one of my favorite books in the world that I don't, I don't just read. I haven't just read a couple times, but I study it. It's, it's by George Leonard called Mastery. And he was a, a, a very, uh, very well-known and, and powerful martial artist in Aikido. And in, in Mastery, he talks about spending time where you just you go for years sometimes where it doesn't feel like you're making progress. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're in this plateau or on a plateau, and then you pop. And out of nowhere, you're in a different energetic space. And that's what started to happen. And it happens with anything we focus on for long enough where we pop, and all of a sudden, there's this unique version of us that shows up and it's different than anybody else's system or their form and that's what happened with martial arts for me after a dozen years i realized something was starting to change that i was becoming my there was a a version of the martial arts and and it really 
was pushed into existence or into my consciousness mm-hmm. when I had um, when I had a yoga show up in my life, and I and I started practicing yoga and realizing that there was there were synergies between these two. So it it kind of happened organically, but it also happened because there were. 10, 12 years of practice. And we have to be willing to allow lag to to work its magic where things will show up when enough time it take, passes and we're, we're truly engaged and we go deep. Mm-hmm. That is a wonderful insight. Are you familiar with the book um, Three, I think, is it Three Feet from Gold? No, but it sounds like a lot of people's uh, location where they stop. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's. Actually, I don't know if it's a book so much as a. It's definitely a parable, a story, about this individual who basically, you know, had this property and he was digging for gold. He thought we told there was gold there, didn't find it and gave up. And when he sold the property, the next person comes, digs three feet deeper, and strikes the most incredible vein of gold. And that's what you're describing. I love it. Now, yeah, that 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 also reminds me the the quote about uh, it's something about being on the shoulders of giants, where you can leverage off of somebody's digging or their experience or things, and it might just be three more feet, and you just have to be willing to to stick your shovel in and go for it. Mm. Now, what is the relationship? you think between your enormous business success and the martial arts? Well, I can tell you that when I blew up my business and it was actually a little bit different, um, it was a little bit more intense than, than when you were sharing, I think I may have um, provided some, some misinformation. It was actually a $20 million uh, portfolio that I blew up and the, the, the significance, whether it was 20 or 200 million, it was a lot and it was a lot of pain. And that happened in large part, I think because I moved away from the practice that was so important to me. I took a break from the martial arts and I stopped listening to other people. I really, I wasn't even listening to my instincts. I was listening to my ego. And there's a difference between your instincts and your ego. When your ego is driving things, it oftentimes becomes about hedonistic consumption and being right and 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 not really acknowledging the truth. And when I, when I veered away from martial arts, there's something special about martial arts. When you're training, and you're not present, and you're not real and honest. You end up on your back, or you end up with a fist in your face, and and that's the same with business and in life. If you're not present, you're going to end up getting smashed and kicked and punched and beat all over the place. When you're present, you're able to be with whatever's going on, and you can adapt. And that's that was the shift after I went through this meltdown. I I realized that I had lost the presence, and now that I've gone back into a place where I practice presence. And I'm really honest about everything, and I, I don't, I don't hide, I don't pretend. I'm real. Then there's a there's a different way of of engaging with with people and the universe. There's a different relationship that happens. And so the the martial arts and business and life are completely in parallel. The lessons in and the rules with martial arts are exactly the same ones with life. A big one is the presence. Being present mm. is everything. Mm. I love it absolutely. What would you say were your biggest mistakes, disappointments, and moments of self-doubt? Well, the, the the biggest mistakes, the the list is long, and that's and and to me that actually wasn't the failure. It was when I look back, I just say, why didn't I fail faster? I and because we we ended up failing forward. It's a great book, by the way, Failing Forward, and. 
it, the, the idea is that the universe gives you these opportunities to make mistakes. They end up being painful. And that's where the growth, that's where the nuggets are, where you end up developing into a bigger person, into a, uh, somebody that has wisdom and not just education or academic theory. And and so the, the mistakes were, were all these little bundles of, they were gifts, whether I was losing money on a house or whether I, I had the wrong partner or whatever I was doing, I mean, the list is so long and that was the value. It was being willing to go out there and not being afraid that the mistake was going to kill me. At the, at the other side, on the other side of the mistakes, there was this realization that the worst thing that happens is I feel stupid. I get judged. I lose money. There was never a time where a, a saber tooth tiger came out of the woods or the, the grass and, and was trying to eat me. And I think people have this, the, the amygdala in their brain, they, they let that run their show and, and they have this fear that they're going to be they're, they're, It's going to kill them, whatever it is. And for me, I pushed past that because of this like youthful naivety that I could do anything and nothing was impossible. And the only disappointment that I really found that that sticks out was after the meltdown, I lost my confidence because I had equated my net worth to my self-worth or, or vice versa. And when my net worth went from positive five million to negative five million, I didn't really feel like I was worth anything. And there, the loss of confidence really put me into a place where I didn't feel like I had the ability to create or to or to be effective or to win again. And, and it's disappointing because that took some years away from me where I was just sitting idle in fear. That's the biggest disappointment. It's the time that we lose because we're not confident in taking action. Hmm. Was there a defining experience or moment that t- started turning things around again for you? There, there were two, and they, and they happened within, within a year of each other. Um, the, I talk about the one, the trigger event in my book, Reinvented Life, where I was, I was at a, a house I was living in, and I was really just uh, trying to hide from the world because I had, I had screwed so many things up, and so many people were upset with me. And I had, I, I, there was a knock at the door, which is very weird because I didn't actually have the house I was at. Nobody knew where I lived. I was really off the grid. And I, I went up to the door, and I had... Uh, through the peephole, I could see four people outside, and they all had they all had handguns, they all had badges, and I thought they were they were there to get me. And I, I hid, I hid for a couple of hours. And when I finally went outside and looked to see if they were still there, I saw a, a, an envelope on the door. And when I opened the envelope, it was it was from the the uh, Internal Revenue Service, and it was actually to the person that lived in the house before me. It wasn't even for me. And I, I dropped down to my knees and just lost it. And I realized that I was living in so much fear that I was almost I was almost paralyzed to actually living. And I was pretending everything was okay, but I wasn't really okay. And this was a message from the universe. And it really changed me. It, it started to shift something. And I said, something's got to be different. And within a year, I got fired from a volunteer job. Now, if you've ever volunteered, it's a little a little weird to get fired if because volunteers are free. But I was so bad at being a volunteer that I got fired, and I pretended I didn't get fired. And it was a, several months later where I finally hit the point where I said, I've got to be true. I've got to be honest about everything. I've got to own the things I did in the past, and, and, and I owned that I got fired. And when I shifted there, the trigger event from the house and then owning that – I had done what I'd done to get fired, that I was just not a very good volunteer. When I went to that space, everything changed. That was the pivot where it became about asking the question, what is true? When that was the question that was asked, everything evolved from there. 
That is just beautiful. And um, what an image of these people outside the door with guns. You know, uh, what I love about that, you say, when you finally ask the question what is true, but that takes courage because we're often afraid to ask that question, right? We are, we, we are afraid. We, we yeah. don't want to see it because it, it, it discloses, it shows us the decisions, the behaviors, the habits, and we'd prefer to just ignore those and pretend that they didn't exist a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is great stuff, my friend. Now, you help people to... Oh, I'm not, I have another question before that. Have you f- studied formal personal development? I would say if there's any one thing that I've studied more than anything else, even more than martial arts, it's personal development. I mean, I've spent over a million dollars on personal development the last decade and a half and countless hundreds of thousands of miles of travel and some of the greatest minds and mentors in the world because I think that the most important thing we'll ever do is the work that we do on ourselves and the best investment we'll ever make is the investment on our mind and our soul. And so that's where I I focus first before anything else. You know, I'm glad we spoke about comparisons before because I won't compare myself to you because then I'll feel insignificant having only, <laughs> having only spent six figures on... on Louis, you got to step up, my man. <laughs> That's great. So do any any thought leaders really stand out for you that, that most, well, made of, the biggest impact on you? There are some that that they're they're timeless and they're classic. And I I've listened to so somebody that's no longer with us, but Jim Rohn was was one of the one of my originals that I studied and have listened to for hundreds, if not thousands, of hours. Listen to him because his his wisdom was so clean and it was so clear, and it was it's the basis for so many people that teach now. And I thought, well, if if I'm going to learn, I really want to learn at the 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 beginning where where it started, and then make my own decisions on on how I interpret that. So that's one of the reasons to go back in time to the beginning of any type of teaching. You find the, the raw version of it. So Jim Rohn was was a big a big influencer for me to develop me. And and today the the people that are influencing me are are guys like Grant Cardone and Gary Keller, uh, Peter like Peter Diamandis, because of his mindset around abundance, it's to me that's a personal development program when you get into that mindset and that psychology around abundance versus scarcity. It really shifts you as a being. Hmm. What's interesting is I love Jim Rohn, and I just started reading Grant Cardone. Yeah. They're, 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 these people. It's funny to me that oftentimes I hear from people they'll reach out and they'll say, "I just I, like there's nobody around me that I can talk to," and we we know that the the people that are around us, the five people that are around us, are are going to become the influencers on us. We're going to become an average of them in every way. And and people will say, "I I have these really terrible friends, or my colleagues at work aren't inspiring." And I laugh because today we can be influenced by whoever, whenever we want because of the internet. And you can spend 20 hours a day listening to people like Jim Rohn and Grant and absolutely get just be in their Kool-Aid, like in their thinking. And you don't have to have hardly any influence unless you choose to. So if you're responsible and you want to do something about it, you can flip a switch and be in that psychology and in that energy in a matter of seconds. Totally, totally agree. I love YouTube for that. I call YouTube the uh, Everything University. You want to, you want to find it, you'll find it there. That is just, just wonderful what you just shared. 
I know there was another question I had that just flew away, but that's okay. It'll come back. Now, you help people to understand the green and red arrows of wealth and poverty. What are those? The, 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 those arrows come from a story from a, a client of mine that, that showed up kind of almost, it was, it was like a gift from God. She showed up and it, she was referred over and she really taught me maybe even more than I've ever taught her. And one of the questions that she came in with was when she was telling me about her experience watching the news and seeing how each day there would be somebody reporting on what the, the stock market did and she would see this green arrow and it would, it would indicate that the markets were up. And she said, every time I see that green arrow, I get excited because I feel like our money is expanding, but I'm also afraid because the red arrow is going to come. We know it is. It'll maybe be there tomorrow. And when it happens, I feel contracted like I'm poorer. And we are in hell. This is this roller coaster, and we don't feel peaceful. We, we feel like we're very afraid of what's going to happen in the future. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And they said, we want to get rid of these arrows and this roller coaster. We hate it. And I said, great, let's do that. And she said, perfect. So we started doing this work together. And the coolest part was about six months later, they, we were talking about, uh, we, were, we were actually talking about uh, travel and, and things. And I, I said, hey, did you see what happened in the markets yesterday? And she said, no. I said, the, the Dow went down, it was a you know, big red arrow down like 500 points. And she said, oh, yeah, we're out of that. We don't, we don't care. And I said, what is that like? She said, it's peaceful. And I went, yeah, it really is. And you don't care about the arrows anymore. And she said, nope, not, not anymore. Right, because um, I agree with you. Once you recognize that you are in control of creating your own economy, that other stuff is just an outside game. It is. And when you when you take when you take total responsibility, and so there's a piece there's there's a shift where you take responsibility and then you build the confidence muscle because somebody can say I'm responsible and have no confidence because they have no idea what they're doing and there is this period where you learn just like you learn how to ride a bike or you go to school to become a doctor or whatever it is you're doing you build up that muscle and then it doesn't matter what happens in the economy it doesn't matter who gets elected to whatever office it doesn't matter if you lose all your money because you've got the confidence and the belief and the trust in yourself to go create whatever it is that you need or want in your life. Mm. These are wonderful, wonderful um, sharings that you're, you're offering to uh, our listeners today. You know, I remembered what I was going to say before. It wasn't a question. When you mentioned the five people that you spend most time with, you become like them. I agree with that. And recently when I was thinking about it, I got this image of uh, dogs and cats. And cats, you know, have a real sense of their superiority, which they should, because they know how to make people come to them as opposed to uh, chasing after people. And I had this image of a little kitten and this kitten is being influenced by a little dog who is leading him astray, and his mother has to constantly pull him back and say, no, no, you can't have dog behavior. You have to have cat behavior. Otherwise, you'll become a just cripplingly dependent on, the, on other people. <laughs> 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 just a little aside. <laughs> now, why do you hate the term retirement? This one makes me crazy, Lewis. It's, it, it, it has to do with something that was that is a really old term. If we think about what retirement is and what, what we used it for 100 years ago, 
things were retired, whether it was machinery in industrial manufacturing or it was farm animals that got old or whatever it was, they we retired that stuff when it was no longer useful. And we started looking at people as cogs in these systems. And there was this idea that we would retire them when they got to a point where they were no longer useful. Somehow that that term stuck and people started thinking that it's normal to retire, to be done. And the problem with that idea is there's a couple of things. One of them, when we're at 40, 50, 60, 70 years old, and we've been doing something for a long period of time, we have all this life experience and this actual wisdom, not just a book that we read, but actual wisdom, emotional intelligence. That's when it's so valuable for us to be sharing things and to say that we're done, that we're not going to continue to contribute is a massive mistake and it's being super selfish. And the other problem is, I firmly believe that if you decide that you are done contributing and you say, I'm retiring, and I've seen this in so many people that I care about and love, they they do their thing. They have an amazing job. They put their mind, their body, their, their, they put everything into something, and then they decide, oh, it's time for me to retire. They buy into this BS that, that they've been told about the timing. They quit, and all of a sudden, they seem to degrade. And there's a reason that in the, in the United States, at least, it, it takes three years for the average male to die after they retire. And it is because the universe looks at you and says, if you're done contributing, if you're done showing up, you are literally taking up space and you're consuming resources and I'm not going to conspire with you anymore. You're done. If you think you're done, then great, you're done. And that's why people end up dying. The universe conspires with us when we're focused on creating and expanding because it's either expansion or contraction. You can't do flat. You have to pick one or the other. So mm. why would we all of a sudden contract? Let's keep expanding. So forget about retirement. It's not, it's it's a terrible idea. I agree. And you just went to the heart of uh, what my whole podcast is about, that everything is a story and retirement is a deadly story. If we buy into that concept, well, we're going to pay the price. And uh, I love the alternative that you uh, present because that's an empowering story. Now, how do you help and empower moms to achieve financial security? There, there's this myth that happens that, that we've been told that we are simply too stupid, that investing is, is too complicated, and it is better just to hand over all of the money that we create, that we work for, hand it to people, and in 30 or 40 years, that money will actually be big enough for us to live on during that retirement period we just talked about. And we, I fundamentally disagree with it. And so I built a company around the idea that you are smarter than that Wall Street system or whatever the, the brokers or the bankers or whatever system that is, you're smart enough and you're, you're better than, than they will ever be because you're going to care about your finances and your wealth more than they ever will. And the, the tool and the focus that, that we have here at, at the company at Total Control Financial is about giving people the tool, giving them the vehicle where they can drive, decide where they're going to go, and then building them up with the confidence to make decisions on how they invest and create their own wealth without being feed to death the rest of their lives and and really putting being able to put their hands on their investments instead of just saying, well, I think I have some investments. I don't really understand them. I don't know what derivatives or or all these crazy fancy things that the that the Wall Street machine has been selling. I don't understand it. It's, it's literally about opting out. It's about giving working people, it's about giving anybody a chance with their money and their finances when they decide that they're going to be responsible about it. We give them the tools and we give them the empowerment so that they can go out there and they can design their 
life versus having a life by default. Again, I love your answer, but is there anything specific and different that you offer to moms? Because I saw that come up in the bio, the bio information I had on you. Anything specific or different that you offer to moms that you may not offer to somebody else? Well, one of the things that, and this really comes from from my experience with my own parents. They, like my 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 dad was was a government employee, worked in the military, and there's a, t- a traditional 401k or they call it a thrift savings plan, and it's it's the standard type of retirement. And and so it was stuck in mutual funds, and he didn't really have a whole lot of control, and it kept him really pretty stuck. It also kept my mom stuck and my whole family stuck because they weren't expanding, and my mom didn't really have any control. The the thing that we do with with moms, and I think about my mom every time I talk about this, is we give we give women a chance because the typical system is where men end up having these vehicles and then they keep women in the dark and it, that's not every case but it's a lot and it's personal for me because that's what i watched so what this tool does we give people a tool that the, these moms that come in and and everybody can use this but it's a it's a tool that like my mom could take her retirement money or create her own retirement money with the qrp that we offer people and she could go out and invest that and be in charge of it and take control so that she's not stuck in either somebody else's 401k or her own 401k that she really doesn't have any influence on. So it's it's geared for that type of scenario where somebody wants to take control. And what I've seen is too many moms literally stuck hoping that their that their counterpart is is going to do a good enough job. And unfortunately, that just doesn't happen very often. And so that this this is really something that hit me watching my parents and how they operated and how they just ended up being pretty broke and pretty stuck. Mm. Now you use a term that I'm not familiar with, QRP. What does that mean? The QR, QRP stands for Qualified Retirement Plan, okay. and and it's really it's it's the it's what encompasses the 401k system. It's been around for 40 years, and it's it's a structure where people can take advantage of all the laws to invest without being taxed to death. And that's one thing that we've got to be really conscious to because the government is always finding ways to tax us. It's also got a lot of ways for us to avoid those taxes and to be smart about our investing. We just have to become educated and empowered. And so we, we take advantage of those things within the QRP that, we've, that we create for people. Hmm. What, what is the most important first step for someone who wants to take control of their financial future, regardless of where they are right now? It's, it's to be really honest about the options, which really requires people to say, okay, what am I not, what am I not seeing? And it's, it's asking the question, what question am I not asking? And so what we're doing is offering people a piece of that missing that chunk. And, and the, the book I wrote on the QRP, for example, or my book, Reinvented Life, those are missing questions that people don't even know to ask. And like I said before, the most valuable thing you're ever going to invest in is yourself. And so the first thing somebody should do is making sure that they actually understand what the playing field looks like. And the playing field is seeing your options, because if you only think you have one option, you're basically going to do that or nothing. And so to have options, it's a minimum of three, either or or is not an option. That's just a yes or no, or we really want several options. This gives you options when you start to see that there's a multitude of things that you can choose. It's the education in ourselves. And there's no there's no get rich quick. There's no quick just overnight type of thing that's going to fix everything. There's an opportunity for people that are serious, that are self-responsible to shift everything if they take that on and spend the time investing in themselves. You just said two, um, 
two words, self and responsible. What are your views on self-responsibility? To me, this is freedom, and freedom is the most important thing in my life. And the only way that I'm ever going to be free is to be 100% self-responsible about everything. This is this came from the, those those moments where I was I was ignoring reality. I wasn't paying attention to my behaviors, my patterns. I was I was willing to lie about things, and I finally said, "It's it's only going to be the truth. I'm going to ask myself what is true. I'm going to own that." And it became really a North Star. It was an anchor for everything. It's it's one of the six core values for my company and for me with everything that we do, every decision we make, every person we bring on, there's a it's a filter on whether people make sense within our culture. It's a filter on whether a decision is going to be made to do a certain type of business or bring on a certain product or whatever it is. The self-responsibility piece and the opposite of this is victim, blame, justifying. And we are just surrounded by victim. There's a way to blame the system or other people for basically everything. And when I hear that now, it just makes me cringe. What I love hearing is people that are saying, nope, this is my life. It's my responsibility. I'm going to do something. And the thing is, you can't change anything unless you own it. And the, the moment you take responsibility and ownership is the moment that you can transform yourself. And that's I mean, that's just, it makes me smile. You can probably feel me smiling right now thinking mm. about this because mm -hmm. we're truly empowered the moment we say, my life is mine. Yeah, I totally agree. That's, you know, again, one of the uh, the key messages in my podcast about change your story, change your life. Now, how did you manage to write five books and how long did each one take you? B to me, book writing is the closest thing I think I'm ever going to, uh, ever going to experience and uh, that comes that's like giving birth because there's this gestation period you have an idea and I, how, I don't know how often I hear this people say I have a book I'm, I'm working on it it's in my head and I go that's kind of like thinking about having kids and it's an, it's a cool idea when you think about it you dream about it you even kind of pretend that you're writing it and then you get into it and you realizing you realize there's this gestation period where eventually, after months and months of working on a book, you just want this thing, this thing out of you. It is it is just building up, and it's painful, and it's awkward, and it's achy, and and so w w number of the books have taken a year to write, and and some of them, uh, one of them took several years of just having this stuff kind of come out of me and drip. Reinvented Life took 10 weeks to write with, with Chris. And when we did that, it was because we said we are going to release this thing in, in four months. And here's our date. And we announced it to the world. And it's a huge thing to do if you want to get anything done. Put yourself up against a hard deadline that's publicly announced. And all of a sudden, you've got to work towards that. And you've got people that are paying attention. And you will do things differently than if you just keep your deadlines in your head. They keep getting punted. So we did that. And we had the book done and off to the editor in 10 weeks, which is extraordinarily fast to write a book and get it all done and edit it and, and everything else. So it, it was different amounts of time. I, it really depends on, I mean, I know Brian Tracy will write a book in a week. There, there are people that are like superhuman writers. I'm not one of those people. Uh, you really have to be committed or maybe you should be committed if you decide you want to write a book. It's, it's possible now. It's, it's just a, a question of, is it really important to you? And if it is, you got to just commit to a date. Now, uh, who is Chris? You said you mentioned Chris. Yeah, Chris, Chris Ashby, uh, my, my best friend that wrote Reinvented Life with me. And it was fascinating to write a book. If you ever want to get something out of you, either you have stuff that's toxic and you want to get it out, writing a book is a good way, 
Or if you want to really understand what you know about something, oftentimes we think we know about something until we try to explain it. And if you try to explain it by writing a book, you realize how little you know all of a sudden. And and so in 2012, Chris, th- that spring, Chris said, hey, I want to write this book that you've been talking about. I want to write it with you. And I never thought about that. So I was up for the challenge and we got together and started writing this book and literally shared a Google Doc where we were writing the chapters together. It was the most fascinating dance with somebody else interweaving our stories together. And when we got done with it, I remember the conversation vividly because we both looked at each other and said, you know, if so, if nobody ever reads this thing, that's okay. We actually created something. It's powerful for us. It was a shared adventure and that's good enough. And then we published it and maybe a year later, there was the first person came to me and said, I read your book. It's actually sitting next to my bed and I use it as a reference book. And I went, whoa, I, wow, that was a, that was enough of a reason to spend the time and energy on that book to have one person say that it meant, Mm. it meant so much. And so I'm, I'm grateful to, for that feedback. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to have put reinvented life out there with Chris. Beautiful. Now, how old were you when you wrote your first book? First one was in 2004, so at that time I was uh, I was 27. Mm. This is this is very inspiring, very inspiring for anyone who's listening. What are the two upcoming books about? There, one's on it's reinventing the idea of retirement, and it's it's really changing changing the whole conversation around retirement, and and the other one is is my version of, of financial mastery. And it's, it's really all the teaching that I do when I work with people one-on-one and, and my experiences the last 20 years with all the different businesses I've owned and the psychology around being successful and blowing yourself up and just everything that, that I have really learned by being in the middle of it. And those, those are two books. So they're, they're kind of companion books and they're both going to have a, a really valuable message for people to, to take in and, and it's going to challenge them. It's going to it's going to help them reimagine and reinvent their lives financially and probably emotionally and, and spiritually too. I love it. I can't wait for them to come out. You talk about disrupting Wall Street, and I think you've touched a little bit on it. But what is your vision about disrupting Wall Street? My vision for disrupting Wall Street, Total Control Financial's vision, my vision, the alignment there is to have a million people that have that have detached, gotten off that roller coaster, unshackled the the bond, the bondage of of those shackles, and they are empowered and confident and doing things on their terms, and they don't care any longer about what Wall Street does, and they're not they're not stuck in it. So it's a million people that were stuck in that thing, and they're now out of it. That's my idea of disruption. If it disrupts one person being inside that, that, that prison, that is awesome. A million is our vision. Once again, I love it. Now, can you describe your typical workday? Typical workday starts off when I get up. I, I do something called the Savers Program. And this is, to, this is thanks to Hal Elrod and the Morning Miracle. And it, it really starts by reviewing the previous day, being very clear. And that's with my journal. I, I want to make sure that I, I, I get the lessons because every day there's something that happens. I mean, today I had one of my core team quit, no notice. And that's going to be a huge lesson for me to to learn from and, and to journal tomorrow. So I start with that. I, I, I'm learning every day and inking it. And then I write my goals. And this is it's funny because we've heard this a million times. Writing your goals down every single day, in fact, in the morning and the evening is even better. I make sure I do that. And I look at my vision for my life. And it's a visual vision. So I I see where I'm going. 
And and I spend time in silence. There's so much noise that's going on. It's in every direction and things are pulling at us. And as much as I love podcasts, as much as I love all the information out there, there's a beauty in the silence. And I spend time with that every day. And then I end up, I, I always make sure I do some type of physical activity because if you're like me at all, you spend way too much time sitting, staring at screens. And so I want to make sure that I have a rhythm around keeping my body strong. It's, it's the, the number one wealth in our lives is our health. And it's also my number one goal that I am world-class health. And so I make sure that, that that's a part of every morning. And this is going to sound a little funny, Lewis, but the, the first thing I do before any of that stuff is I make my bed. And the reason I do that is for two reasons. And I heard this from Admiral uh, McRaven, who's the University of, of Texas uh, chancellor now. And he said, here's the reason we do this. One, you, ought, you have a success first thing in the morning. You made your bed. You're feeling good. You, you, you go from that. It's, it's a leverage point. And the other thing that happens at the end of the day, no matter how bad your day was, you get back to your bed and you look down and it's fresh and clean and crisp and you go, ah, oh, thank goodness it's not a mess. And it just, it's such a powerful thing. It's so simple. I think my mom would be proud that I'm doing this. It's, it's just one of those things that's a great rhythm to, to have and, and put into your life. Doesn't sound weird to me at all, my friend. I do it myself. And um, I understand exactly what you mean. I do it. Sometimes I want to resist doing it, and I'll do it anyway, because I say, no, it's important to establish the habit, you know? It it's, is. Uh, it really is. And uh, uh, I have a mentor friend of mine who is so committed to that that he even does it when he stays in hotels. Now, I don't do it in the hotel, but he does. <laughs> he makes the bed. The <laughs> question is, how committed are you? I mean, if you're really committed to things, then your habits start to take over. Those habits are your behaviors, and they are really what matters in your life, and they're going to define your life. So if it really matters to you, you'll start doing stuff like that. It's awesome. I've never done that. I'm, I'm like you. I go to a hotel, and, and I figure, well, this is part of what I'm paying for. And the truth is, he's got a more a more committed, more focused habit than, than I do. So that's that's very cool. It is. I still don't want to do it. Not in a hotel. <laughs> Oh, man. So now that you've done your ritual, your morning ritual, which is crucial, uh, do you have a specific work game plan that you follow every day? Yeah, there's there's a, a book that I recommend everybody pausing the program and clicking your one button on your Amazon thing and buying. It's called The One Thing by Gary Keller. And it's, it's big time focused on time blocks and making sure that we're focused on one thing, one thing at a time. doesn't mean we have one thing in our life, but there's this one thing. And my calendar controls my life. I, I'm very focused on, and sometimes I'll have an entire day that is blocked out where it's it's like still day. So there's not an activity. But my cal if, it, if things don't exist on my calendar, they're not in my life. And the reason I do that is because I want to determine my life not just by accident where I'm colliding into things, but it's actually very deliberate and very thoughtful. And so I've got these blocks of time. And and it's fascinating to me because when I started doing this, people were a lot more respectful of, of just getting in, just bumping into me, um, whether it was calling or texting or there was a lot more respect. There was a lot more efficiency in getting things done when we, we were on a call or when we we're meeting there's a there's a, a known there's an idea that this is a chunk of time it is not unlimited it's it's a piece of time and we have we have something to do and maybe it's just getting together for a cup of coffee we're going to be very focused and present on that one thing right there so i've got these time blocks from 5 minutes to 
to an hour typically. And my entire focus is on that one thing in that chunk of time. And everybody knows it every single time. What's fascinating about what you're sharing is that every successful person I have spoken to has a similar pattern. Bar And doesn't matter what industry they're in, what their entrepreneurial passion is, it's the these are the mindsets, the stories, the habits of success. I love it. Yeah, success does leave clues. Yeah, it does. Now, where do you see yourself in five years? In five years, I am going to be a part of an amazing tribe. And the tribe, there's going to be a million people and a million people, a million self-responsible people that are doing things based on what they want to do, not because they're in fear that they're not going to have enough, that are focused on abundance and making decisions that they would have never made today. But five years from now, being a part of that tribe and being part of part of the thought leadership of that tribe, it's it's just to me that's that's amazing because it means that I get to spend time teaching and learning from the people. Just like when somebody that hears hears me on a show or or hears of me and reaches out and asks a question, I'm teaching them. And what they don't realize is that I'm learning at least as much every time they ask a question. And so I see myself just expanding because of all the people that are going to be engaged in this conversation. So I can, I can hardly wait. So I'm enjoying every day on the way there. And five years from now, it's just going to be an amazingly big life. Hey, listen, um, I'm, I'm also going to be part of that tribe. I've already got my wardrobe picked out. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, um, what are your favorite books besides your own? Uh, easily mastery by george leonard I, that's that's one of the books that i study um i study grant cardone's works be obsessed be, or be average the 10x rule uh, there's the books uh, like steve siebold's uh, book the 177 mental toughness secrets of the world class the, there's a theme here and it's thinking really really big and it's being focused and obsessed and unwilling to compromise based on anybody else's judgment. So everybody that I listen to, pay attention to, study has that same philosophy. It's it's it all boils down to self responsibility and 10x big thinking. And with those two things, it's unbelievable where we can take our lives. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned some other great books, and here you mentioned this one comes up a lot in the people I interview: the Morning Miracle. Hal uh, Elrod, yeah. And The One Thing, I have that book as well. I'm just curious. I hadn't planned on asking this question, but I will. Do you watch any TV? I do. I, I watch I watch a limited number of, of shows. And, and I, one of my friends was laughing about this when we were talking about this very question years ago because he said some of the best programming now, all these documentaries and history shows and all this stuff. And I, I thought, yeah, that's true. And I do watch some of those things. And they're they're really really great for the mind because there's so much amazing. In fact, I, I think I would have learned more in, in high school if those programs had been there instead of just looking at books. Because I'm a kinesthetic learner, an auditory learner. I don't do very well just reading books, and and so I'm thinking this would have been great. The truth is, I tend to go very very hard and fast throughout the day, and so for me, having a a period of time where I literally let my mind just go and I I maybe watch something for. 30 minutes or an hour is one of the one of the best tools I can use just to let go of things and let myself rejuvenate. So I use it as a way to kind of cycle through so that I don't burn out. 
Beautiful. Can you name two of the shows that you really love? This is like the embarrassing question round. This is this is this oh, is terrible. Come on. <laughs> No. Uh, so, so the most embarrassing, funniest one is Grey's Anatomy, and okay. I've been watching this for like twelve years, and and I, I, there's something about just the goofiness of of that program and how unrealistic it is. For every friend I have that's a doctor, they go, "There's nothing about that that's accurate," and I just laugh and I go, "But it seems so so right when they're in the situation," and and so I, I watch that and I I watch. Uh, Madam Secretary. Those are those are a couple that I, I watch pretty frequently. And there, there's just some profound writing. And it's funny to me because I'm a typically a pretty uh, pretty political guy. I, the thinking and the conversations I'll have can go pretty deep in that space. And a lot of the writing and the the, the stuff that happens in that program is actually against how I think. And yet, because it's so compelling the way that they frame things and they, they challenge conventional wisdom, I really appreciate the writing and I really get into the program. So I enjoy it for that for that reason. And I think any anytime somebody can make something interesting and challenge us to think and maybe ask questions differently is valuable to spend time in that space. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, interesting that, you know, you were a little embarrassed. Uh, one of my... Uh, favorite mentors and friends is a woman named Susan Sly, who is a multi multi millionaire. And one of her favorite shows is Grey's Anatomy. So you're in good company, my friend. Oh, that's good. And uh, how about Game of Thrones? I'm afraid. I'm afraid to get into it because I think I'll I'll be so obsessed and stuck in it that I'll never get out. It'd be like a vortex. So I haven't gone into that space yet. I, it may happen, but there, the, the thing that I'm finding is there's so much creation going on with all these different channels and so many interesting new spaces. It, it, all these alternative media channels are, are really forcing everyone to do a better job to think differently. Mm-hmm. And, and so shows like Game of Thrones are really pushing the edges of, of, of entertainment and, and writing and storytelling. So I love that they're there. I just have to be careful that I don't get in because I tend to be a binge watcher. Like I'll, I'll watch House of Cards and I'll spend 14 straight hours watching it. Mm-hmm. And so I've just got to be conscious that I don't do that because I could do that. I hear of a new series and I go, oh, there's five seasons. Great. So I'll see you in a week because that's all I'm going to do for the next six days. <laughs> just as a trivial aside, um, some of the lead actors in Game of Thrones, the top two or three of them, can you guess what they get paid per episode? God, that's a good question. I have no idea. Just take one guess. Only get one. $20,000 an episode. 300000 Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a professional actor, and I've heard of people making big money, but this, this, this pushes the envelope. And, you know, it, it is a... It is a very strong, strong show. One last one. I, I didn't even... I, by the way, I don't have these questions written down. They just popped into my head. What about Breaking Bad? The funniest part about Breaking Bad, I've seen one episode. And when I when I wrote Reinvented Life, a friend of mine read it and he, he called me and he said, man, I read your book. Your book is like watching an episode of Breaking Bad. And I started laughing and I thought, is it that bad? He goes, no, it's that intense. I, I just, I was, I was compelled to keep reading it because it was so intense. And I laughed and I went, well, that's pretty good then. And, and so that's my experience with Breaking Bad. Well, I'm going to tempt you because uh, when I first watched the first episode of Breaking Bad, a couple of years ago, I decided not to watch it because it's, 
the first episode was so, never mind intense, it was so extremely violent. Mm -hmm. and, and I said, I don't know, man, I don't want to go down this road. And I don't remember what it was that made me reconsider. And when I ended up watching the whole thing, every single episode, I could, my feeling is that there's never been a more brilliant and non-compromising show ever on television. Interesting. Uh, that's a, a pretty big statement, Lewis. I know. No, no. I, I, it, it, it really, I'm, I've not, it, it is. I, I know it is. It's a very big statement. Anyway, um, we could easily do another podcast just on TV shows. Maybe we will. <laughs> now, do you have a favorite quote? The, the quote that I that I lean on and that I love is that the the and this really came from from Buckminster Fuller, um, also one of my mentors and probably the, the smartest man in the 20th century. And he talked about mistakes and he said that mistakes are really the universe giving you a gift. It wraps it up in this pain and this process that looks like an obstacle. And what it's doing is it's giving you wisdom. And for you to shy away from mistakes or to think that failures are somehow wrong, the only failure is not learning from the mistake. That's where the gift, that's where the wisdom lies. Wow. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I know some other people who have not only been influenced by Bucky, but uh, who actually had the privilege to know him when he was alive and to be mentored by him. Uh, fascinating stuff. Now, how can people contact you to take advantage of everything you have to offer? Two places. Personally, they can find me at DamianLupo.com, and you'll be able to reach out to me any way you like, whatever social media that, that works for you. And, and for the work that we're doing to disrupt Wall Street and, and empower people financially, TotalControlFinancial.com is, is the company. And, and you'll find the book that, that I wrote on the QRP under that name as well. And so if you, if you go to Amazon and you put my name in or you, you put my name into Google searches, you're going to find me. And, and basically any way you bump into me, find a way to communicate on that thing and, and you'll be able to get right directly to me. Beautiful. Now, Damien, you spell D-A-M-I-O-N, correct? That's it. Okay, good. Any final thoughts, Damien? It's it's along it's it's along the lines of of the mistakes and just remember with, with anything that you're afraid of the reality is there is no saber tooth tiger that's going to come out of the bushes and going to eat you and the faster you fail the faster you learn the faster you grow and, and our lives are about growing and expanding and without that really we're just walking tiptoe tiptoeing safely towards death's door and that's not a life at all. I love that and I agree with you there is no saber tooth tiger but. There may be a Google spider. <laughs> <laughs> Damien, I, I have enjoyed this so much because of your clarity, your passion, and your authenticity. And you have given our listeners a gift. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lewis. I deeply appreciate that. Storytellers, thank you again for being here with us and spending this valuable part of your day sharing the excitement, the wisdom that you just heard. I'm sure that there are many of you right now who feel like I do. I'm literally tingling. I feel more alive when I'm exposed to this kind of visionary, lucid energy, this kind of passion this generosity that we just felt from Damien Lupo.
Remember to share this with other people. Let them know that they can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and at the website changeyourstorypodcast.com. And at the website, you all can take advantage of the book that I've created for you, a free downloadable ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. Remember that our sponsor is Audible and that you have been exposed today to so many life-changing books. You can go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power and download one of the books absolutely free your own free audio book and then you can take advantage of an entire month free of all of audible's amazing service damien well he dropped so many incredible i would say beacons of light on you today and we started the show by asking you about the fact that you may be living sometimes in a less empowering place than you should be. That you feel you can't acknowledge your own extraordinary being. Think about the things that Damien shared. Re-listen to the podcast if need be. And then decide that you will give yourself permission to be extraordinary. Begin by asking, how can I change my story and change my life? Tune in to the next episode of Louis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.